Howdy, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to the Jeffersonian Tradition. Before we get started, I have a couple of things to go over. For now, the podcast is mostly ad-free, and I sure would like to keep it that way. You can help me out with that by becoming a supporting listener. If you find value in the podcast, there's a link in the show notes page that will enable you to contribute to my work and to help keep the podcast going and keep it light on advertising. If you're not comfortable with a recurring contribution model, I've also set up a cash app profile for the show. And one-time contributions can be sent to the show's cash tag, which is dollar sign Mr. Jeffersonian. And all of this information will be listed in the show notes page as well. Any contribution amounts help and thank you in advance to anyone who chooses to pitch in. And for my supporters, I recently introduced an exclusive tier for y'all, and it's called Mr. Jeffersonian's Ward Republic. Perks of being a supporting listener currently include one video call with me and the other Ward Republic members each month, and up to 40 minutes each call. It's a great atmosphere, and we'd love to have you there. All you need to do to become a member of the Ward Republic is start contributing today at the $4.99 per month level through the Anchor link, or if you'd rather go through Cash App, then you can round it up to $5 per month. Um, essentially, as long as it comes out to $60 per year, you're, you're going to be covered. And speaking of groups, if you aren't on MeWe yet, then seriously, what are you waiting for? Unlike a certain other social media platform, MeWe respects the right to free speech and offers a privacy bill of rights. So if you'd like to be a member there, then download the MeWe app and search for me at the username Mr. Jeffersonian. And just for basic group level access, I'm always going to keep that free. So if you can't afford to contribute, that's perfectly fine. You can still come into the group, see what we're discussing over there. We'd love to have you. The show group is private, so we must be contacts before I can send you that group invite. And if you're not familiar with MeWe's platform, contacts are the same as being friends on Facebook. With all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's now turn our attention to the topic for today's episode. All right, so on our previous episode, we broke down the Share Our Wealth program that Huey P. Long envisioned versus what we actually ended up getting out of the New Deal with FDR. And today, what we're going to do is start a trilogy on Social Security, which has got to be the best oxymoron and or misnomer I've ever heard. And in this first episode, our primary focus is going to be on the history of the program, as well as some of the competing movements of the time. And we're going to kind of see how it stacked up against the competition that it was facing during, during the moment. So the Social Security Act was passed by the 74th United States Congress, and it was signed into law by Franklin Delano Roosevelt on August 14th, 1935. And America was changed forever. However, our story begins before this. Let's go back to the late 19th century and envision the rapid progression of the Industrial Revolution. Tenement homes are popping up on every street corner, and people are crammed into them beyond all sanitary concerns. This period represents the height of the Gilded Age, as despite the poor conditions of the workers, the big-time industrialists are raking in unimaginable profits, and this system would last in some form until the end of the Roaring Twenties. And then came the Great Depression. Now, something else that we need to understand is actually the first system, if you want to call it a system, that we saw that we would recognize some hallmark features from Social Security in was actually the Civil War pension system. And it's really interesting because with the Grand Army of the Republic, a lot of those guys started filing pension claims for very frivolous stuff. I mean, in some cases, literally, it was diarrhea that they had maybe 10 years after the War for Southern Independence ended. And you know, for a while, it was just status quo. Those things would be rubber stamped and uh, just going through. 
that changed under under Grover Cleveland, and Grover Cleveland was actually a fantastic president. At some point, we'll do some episodes dedicated just to him. But Grover Cleveland started vetoing a lot of those bills, and and the Grand Army of the Republic was was irate over this. They could not believe the temerity of a president to deny those pensioners, and so. The way that that system was structured, though, there, there were some things in there where the people who wrote the Social Security Act, they actually went back to that as kind of a, a basis for what we would come to know as Social Security today. So, But back to the story at hand here. When the Great Depression struck, the United States was one of the only industrialized countries that had no national Social Security system or social safety system. And that's not a bad thing. At this time... There were 28 states who administered their own social insurance and voluntary old age pension programs. So it was a decentralized system and it was up to the citizens of those respective states to determine whether they wanted to pay taxes to support such a scheme. Now, it is important to note that at this time in history, the senior poverty rate was rampant. It was reportedly in excess of 50% of that demographic. Everyone wanted a solution. And to fill that gap, along came a man named Dr. Francis E. Townsend. And so Townsend came up with what's called the Townsend Plan. Now, some of you may have heard about this. Uh, It was a very popular movement during its time. But let's talk a little bit about the man. Francis Townsend was a medical doctor who moved to Long Beach, California, following World War I. Upon moving to Long Beach, Townsend was awarded and ultimately later lost a political post within the Long Beach Health Service. And the story goes that as he was languishing over the loss of this post, that one day he looked out of one of his windows of his home and he saw three elderly women digging for food out of the trash cans in the street. That story may be apocryphal, but in either case... From that moment, Townsend's sole purpose in life was to formulate what he considered an adequate old age pension scheme or or plan. And again, at this time, there were 28 states who had some sort of voluntary old age pension plans, and they had a wide range of benefits. Montana had a monthly benefit of $7.28, and Maryland on the high end had payouts of about $30 a month. Townsend deemed this decentralized and low-paying option inadequate. And he came up with a plan to nationalize old age insurance that would see the general government pay out a guaranteed minimum monthly benefit of $200 to those aged 60 and older. Funding for his scheme was to come from a 2% tax on all wholesale and retail transactions, so essentially a consumption tax. And to be eligible for the pension, all employed people over the age of 60 would be required to quit their jobs and the thought was this would open up opportunity for younger employed, uh, uh, excuse me, younger unemployed persons, which, you know, to an extent, yes, maybe. Townsend also wanted a stipulation that these payouts had to be spent within 30 days of receipt in order to, air quotes, stimulate the economy. So he wanted a mandatory spending provision in there. You couldn't get this and sit there and invest it or save it. You had to spend it under his vision. And Townsend put forth his plan in a local Long Beach newspaper in September of 1933, and he was soon flooded with letters and volunteers to try to help get this message out there. And he actually built quite the little political block when it comes to, or when it came to um, support for an old age pension system. 
And his little army had membership consisting of more than 3 million people. Now, at the same time, a similar movement was taking root in the bayous of Louisiana. And, of course, we're talking about Huey P. Long and the Share Our Wealth Society. Now, we've already dedicated a lot of time to Huey's populist rise to power, so I'm not going to belabor that part of this story. Instead, we're going to focus on the details of his old-age pension idea within the Share Our Wealth platform. Recall that Senator Long proposed a nationalist takeover of old-age insurance planning, and to that effect, he was actually very similar to Townsend. And he called for the general government to pay all citizens age 60 and over a guaranteed minimum monthly benefit of $30. So again, somewhat like Townsend, except obviously a good bit less. Uh, In this case, he would actually be maxing out at Maryland's rate. Now, Long also called for means testing, which Townsend did not. So under Long's scheme, anyone over the age of 60 making $1,000 a year or more or having property in excess of $10,000 would not receive any sort of monthly benefits because it, it would be deemed that they wouldn't need it. And to finance his plan, uh, Senator Long called for outright government confiscation of private wealth in excess of $5 million and 100% tax on personal incomes exceeding $1 million annually. And Long established a strong grassroots movement through his network of Share Our Wealth Societies. And at its apex, there were over 27,000 chapters and more than 7.5 million members. So combine that with Townsend's movement, you're, you're looking at almost 11 million people here. So paired with that movement, it was clear that the older voting bloc demanded some sort of government relief. Rightfully or wrongfully, that bloc demanded some sort of governmental relief. So how would FDR respond? Well, he was the ultimate opportunist. So in light of the political wins, FDR worked furiously with members of Congress to have a Social Security bill ready prior to the 1936 presidential election. When Huey P. Long took his Senate seat in 1932, he was at first cordial towards FDR, but the two would end up becoming fierce rivals over the next three years. And Long came to view FDR as a dangerous smooth talker who cared more for corporations than for the people. And that was evidenced by this excerpt from Long's correspondence, which in my opinion is just hilarious. It says, quote, and this again, this is Long talking uh, directly about FDR. So this is a quote from Huey P. It says, quote, the only difference between Hoover and Roosevelt is that Hoover is a hoot owl and Roosevelt is a screw chow. A hoot owl bangs into the roost and knocks the hen clean off and catches her while she's fallen. But a screw chow slips into the roost and talks softly to her, and she just falls in love with him. And the first thing you know, there ain't no hen. End quote. And so that was very humorous to me. Um, I know I said screw chow. I think he probably meant screech owl, but the, the actual text said scrooch, so I just read it to you as, as it verbatim appeared. But FDR, for his part initially tried to form a political alliance with Senator Long, but when that attempt failed, FDR claimed that Huey P. Long was the most dangerous man in American politics. And it's sort of suspicious in my opinion. You draw your own conclusions. Long would be assassinated at the start of the campaign season in 1935. So he was actually assassinated in September 1935, and we had the presidential election coming up in 1936. And he was allegedly shot by the disgruntled son-in-law of a state judge that he helped impeach in Louisiana. There's still, to this day, a lot of controversy over that. Some people actually even think that maybe he was hit by a ricochet from one of his own bodyguards because they just sprayed so much lead. (laughs) So 
Uh, lots of controversy over that. It is kind of strange that he would be shot at the time in which he was shot when FDR started viewing him as his big political threat. Now, for Francis Townsend, he was initially an enthusiastic supporter of the New Deal version of Social Security. But when his proposal was met with onerous scrutiny from administration officials and academic economists, Townsend actually became spiteful and he turned against the New Deal in its entirety, denouncing it as a Mussolini-style fascist takeover. And it is funny to me how all these people back during that time, so many of them were raging against communism, talking about how we needed capitalism and Christianity and this, that, and the other. And yet, here we are, they're outright calling for super communistic programs and super fascistic programs in some cases. So, but, you know, some of them would call it out and fail to see it because no, no, they were just looking out for the interest of the poor old folks in America. And Tennessee Senator Kenneth McKellar called Townsend's plan a wild-eyed scheme for looting the federal treasury, but he voted yes on the Social Security Act of 1935, and if he were around today, I can't help but wonder what would he think about that decision now. Now, when Townsend was called on to provide a defense of his plan, the hearing did not go well, and I couldn't find much detail on that, but all the... All the chatter seems to indicate that Townsend was left looking like a fool and a charlatan after this hearing. And so, thus, with his two biggest political rivals out of the way, FDR and friendly federal legislators ushered in the Social Security Act of 1935. And that thing passed with huge margins. Actually, in both the House and the Senate, there were only 15 no votes against it. And we were stuck with what we now call Social Security. Uh, Maybe social insecurity would be a more accurate term. But we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here for today. But on our next episode, we're going to discuss the details of that 1935 Social Security Act, as well as the inherent structural problems with the scheme, such as Social Security. So thank you all again for tuning in, and I'll talk to you all next time. And guys, please remember, if you find value in the podcast to consider contributing to the show, You can contribute on a recurring basis through the supporting listener link in the show notes page, or you can make a one-time contribution by using the show's cash app information, which is also included in that show notes page. Any contribution amounts help, and thank you again to everyone in advance who decides to do so. And also, please consider downloading the MeWe app and joining the show's private MeWe group so we can have more sane and rational discussion around historical and current political issues. And all right, with another episode in the books, thank you again for tuning in, and I will talk to you all next time.